I'm David W. Berner, and this is The Writer's Shed. It's a, a September afternoon here in Chicago, and uh, really a great day. I mean, 75 degrees and beautiful sunshine, very little wind. You got that uh, smell of fall in the air, and it's just a great day. And um, a little announcement on a personal level here: I'm a grandfather. Yes, uh, my uh, my son and daughter-in-law uh, gave birth just this uh, past weekend uh, to a little baby girl. A little. A little early, a few weeks early, but uh, she's in good shape and mom's in good shape and everybody's happy. Sage Ann, and we uh, love the name and we love her and just wanted to tell the world, you know, every grandfather knows that feeling, right? So uh, I'm writing and reading and doing all those good things too. Uh, I'm, I'm back on the M train with, uh, with um, Patty Smith again. I read that book when it first came out and I started reading it again and forgot how much I loved it. So I'm back to that and a few other things too. And this edition of The Writer's Shed is really kind of a special one here. We are about to launch our third volume of Writer's Shed Stories. That comes up on October 15th. We have 14 wonderful writers in this edition, prose and poetry, and on the podcast this time, some of those writers are reading their work. It's a little taste of what you'll be reading through the uh, through the ear, if you will. So you'll be listening to some of their work. They won't be doing all of the story, but they will be doing little portions of it to kind of give you a little uh, appetizer, if you will. But first up, a writer from an early volume of Writer Shed Stories, a little taste of what we have done, and then we'll get into what will be. This is Esperanza Smith with a bit of her piece from Volume 1. It's called Spotted. Couldn't shake that longing to really know my mother long after I thought I should have outgrown it by now. Spotty, a few moments here and there were revealed. Towards the end of her life, we discovered more about each other or let more of each other be known. Yet looking back, it was spotty. There had once been a sad little girl that wanted to be able to feel and someday write about an incredible story of her experience as a daughter under the wing of that heavenly mother. It had seemed that time ran out just when they were getting to the good stuff. But good stuff, that theme of inspiration that Pura Esperanza was founded on, just is spotted everywhere. Now, I am of the kind that has been known to leave no stone unturned. So glossing over or even skimming over the stuff that hurts in life isn't how I have arrived at the good stuff. But, as the inspiration to write this piece on my mother's birthday, January 9th, became more known to me, I knew it would be not the Miss You, Teary kind of writing over a deceased loved one. Nothing wrong with those feelings, just not what wanted to come forth. It was about bits and pieces that seemed to be snipped out of some large cloth that wove the fabric of my family. It would be spotted. Indeed, the cloth was spotted, both figuratively and literally. Literally, 
I learned that, in fact, she had loved leopard print. The impact of that discovery, already in my 40s, not only greatly amused me, but allowed me to peer into a part of my mother as a young woman. There, I spotted pieces of myself over time, then as a mother, and now as a grandmother, a bit wild and tamed as I saw fit. Figuratively speaking, well, that's where it gets really good, the creme de la creme. Don't you love it? She's got a great voice and a great way to tell a story, so we appreciate you giving us that piece of your work today, uh, Esperanza. And now to our newest volume, entitled Second Thoughts. You're going to listen to these right in order. Um, we are not going to break. We're going to let them go. But here are the names of the writers. John Kozlowski with True Confessions, 1968. Mark Bruce with Idolatry. Amy Gordon with Equestrian. Emily Smith, The Bargain. Chris Koch, What I'll Do. Simon J. Plant with Auto. E.H. Warrington with Yellow Plastic. Mark Blickley, The Biology of Courage. And last, John Murrell, Great Blue. First, John Kozlowski. A True Confession, 1968. Part 1. The Siege of Quezon. Vietnam wasn't much in my life that spring. Marching in the anti-war demonstrations, I wore a Viet Cong hat made out of construction paper, but I wasn't thinking about war. My thoughts were all on love, the pure hippie girl yearning for me and the dreams we wove in the letters we were sure would bring us together finally in California after college. I wanted to touch her, feel the weight and shape of her breasts as she rolled her gray sweater above her head and said, don't be so shy, Johnny. Don't you love them? And I did. I loved them more than our dreams of California beaches and waking in a house among green and red flowers and with the scent of sunlight breezes stirring the curtain softly, softly but not enough to wake her from her dreams, just enough to wake me so I could follow the curve of her chin and imagine the taste of her hair in my mouth. But vanilla, sweet apricots, and something salty, maybe the sweat when we made love. Those dreams kept me writing to her, but they weren't enough. So while the soldiers in Vietnam pressed their backs against the sandbag shacks of Khe Sanh, I told my parents that college was driving me crazy, and I dropped out and hitchhiked 23 hours to College Park, Maryland. But none of it worked out the way I imagined. During class that day, Sister Philomena went again into her favorite tirade about the Beatles. Thou shalt have no false gods before me, she growled, prowling in the front of the classroom like a big cat of prey. And what are they trying to sell you? That you should worship these boys, boys from England, the English. And her Irish Catholic soul shuddered as she said this, are not to be trusted. I sat idly at my desk, wondering what the Beatles had to do with long division which is ostensibly what we were studying. And their leader, this Lenin boy, she continued to fulminate. He says that the Beatles are bigger than Jesus. Than Jesus! Who can be bigger than the savior of the world? Did this Lenin boy die for your sins? She shook her head. That is what we are trying to protect you from these devils. 
he said, now walking down the aisles of desks. Uh-oh, we all thought. The only time Sister Philomena did this was when she was about to pounce on some unsuspecting student to tear his or her guts out and feast on the entrails. She stopped by Candy's desk. I felt panic surge through my body. How did she know? I hadn't thinked on Candy. I was still struggling with whether I should. It would likely save my soul. On the other hand, if I did, Candy would never again favor me with one of those warm, wet kisses. I was close enough to manhood to know I'd be needing a lot more of those. So I sat poleaxed as Sister Philomena stood by Candy's desk. I shot a look at Candy, whose expression remained passive. Her eyes, though, flickered fire. Now a coldness washed through me as I realized that Candy thought I had tattled on her to Sister Philomena. I wanted desperately to catch Candy's eye and shake my head, but Sister Philomena's eagle eye was scanning the room looking for an accomplice. My cowardice overwhelmed me. I looked away. Equestrian. Every day I take my own life for a ride. Every day I put on boots, climb up on the old horse. I'm not on a mission. I simply drink coffee and observe leaves twisting in blue air. Frost turns orange, a lighter shade of tangerine. I used to trot or canter. Now I simply walk. The wind feels harsh, and I've come out without a jacket or a scarf. Today I am thinking about my marriage, how I should have stayed with him, though friends have told me that's absurd. I miss my mother, her flowered couch. I'm sorry she never knew my sons. I wish I could pick up leaves, glue them back on branches, restore one single tree. Did I make a bargain for you, praying deep into the night, as you were lost out in the world, my three darlings? Maybe I did. Maybe my father, speechless and wasted, finally made the sign of the cross before he died and made a bargain for me. These bargains were not of finding parking spaces, but prayers sent to the top of old churches, to where St. Michael beats the dragon down. These prayers were for flesh I hold, or flesh we made, for my blood, for hearts that beat and run the blood around each day. The bargain was to give up the fickle for the real, and then, perhaps, receive a blessing which was fainter than applause, but more real, like the bell heard dimly from the top of the mountain, to which we are still ascending. Thirty white pills, smaller than a nail on his little finger. Henry hoped it would be enough. He also hoped for a smooth departure. He'd seen his fair share of death, most did not go gentle. They went pissed off and pissing themselves, digging their nails into the bed frame as if to keep death from dragging them off. Henry locked his door and set the scene. He turned off most of the lights and put on a record at low volume. No getting interrupted by Mrs. Pincer next door, complaining about what I'll do, playing too loud, even though she asked what they say every three seconds on movie night. He stripped, slipped into an adult diaper, and put on his second nicest suit. The nicest one was in the wardrobe for his funeral. On the table, 
he placed a handwritten letter with instructions. His affairs in order. Henry realized he felt no fear, just a sadness that crept in whenever he thought of Beth. He tried to focus on the job at hand. He sat on the bed with the pills and a bottle of Glenfiddich. Nothing too fancy. If you can enjoy a twelve-year-old scotch, you've got no business drinking anything older. Two sides of Nat King Cole later, faraway church bells rang midnight, and death came for Henry. He slipped into a mood when I told him to take the wrong exit. Maybe it was a mistake on my part, distracted by the desert drifting past or the battered hatchback coughing two lanes over. Or maybe I was poking the bear. You've got us all turned around, he growled, but his words were cut short as the hatchback overtook us. It jetted down the off-ramp fast as a bullet, and Otto instructed the driver he could go fuck himself. I told Otto to calm down. We weren't lost. Not yet. I twiddled the dials on the radio. Mostly static soup. Words so garbled they might have been transmissions from another planet. Otto switched it off. We should probably check the news, I reminded him. His response was mumbled, but I think he said something like, They'll never catch us. The Biology of Courage by Mark Blickley. Sleeping in public can give you interesting insights into human nature. It's been my experience that the good are pretty evenly matched with the bad, although it does tip a bit more in favor of the positive. Many people think I'm just a homeless misfit and don't realize I'm actually giving them a chance to join me in creating a temporary public family. Compassion and cruelty is what I frequently dream about while I sleep on this beautiful ledge, and it is what I often wake up to. Since I was a child, I've always hated shoes. Most men like to appear tough. If a person really wants to be tough, it must start with their feet. Our ancestors probably went tens of thousands of years traveling in their bare feet, tough, grizzled, calloused, but not indifferent. Growing up without family except for my mother, I don't think of being shoeless as a sign of poverty. I am walking in the footsteps of my ancestors, where each step I take is headed in the direction of a family reunion. The soles of my naked feet scrape along the same paths where the soles of my forebears once walked. Please forgive my clumsy attempt at poetic wordplay, but it is a holy trail. A human head should always be cradled. That's why I always carry a pillow in my pouch. A good pillow allows you to dream in color. My pillow is very old, and even when I wash it, it has a distinctly peculiar smell to it. That's because of the many beautiful dreams and disturbing nightmares burrowed inside it. My sweat and tears puddle into the stains of my life. A kind European visitor once told me I should consider my pillow as a work of textile art. I'm not sure what that means, but I like how it sounds. Her sister gaunt in a slip dress and curled like a cat on the depleted sofa, glances from the glow of the television towards us. Her eyes find mine, and I don't see the girl burnt with a lighter. I see someone else. She is beautiful and terrifying, a living skeleton. A chill of uncertainty runs a finger of ice down my spine. Her skin waxes translucent in the dim lighting. She lifts a cigarette to her lips the ash a red spot of incandescent light. Next to her sits a young man. 
I cannot look away fast enough. Outside, I am more myself. We cross the bridge, and I point out the sunken shopping cart. She chats idly, a new kind of intimacy formed between us now that I have seen where she lives. She follows me back onto the school grounds, back beyond the rhododendrons, back through the gravel of the crack shack. We don't stop to look for needles or condoms. We don't need to. As we enter my home, it takes twice to lock the bolt behind me. She asks me if I want to play Barbies. All right. Great Blue With morning's weight falling away and a light fog lifting, I caught sight of you, still as an indrawn breath on the periphery of a bay that was calm as pasture. Gold-eyed bright and tall as a child, your sleek canal of neck funneled a terrace of dusky blue into your coin purse of body, eerily motionless, as if you were in some nautical stupor, wondering how best to navigate this middle stretch of life or how to hold on to those things that sometimes resurface only to turn and fall away again, or perhaps weighing how we might continue to bear all that tethers us to earth, at least until a wind swept you up and led you in tedious flight across tidal pools that smelled of salt hay and the damp mantle of marsh, early light sliding from your wings as you became more phantom than bird, a thing that's indistinguishable from the tongues of tides or a cloudless patch of sky. Again, Rider Shed Press and Rider Shed Stories, Volume 3, Second Thoughts. It'll be out October 15th. Paperback and Kindle. Look for it at ridershedpress.com or at Amazon. Look for our social media posts about it all and spread the word. This has been Episode 17 of The Writer's Shed. I'm David W. Berner. Our music is from IRA Music. Production and interviews produced in the shed. Find us on Twitter at Writer's Shed Press. Thanks for listening.